Welcome to the Vulture TV Podcast. I'm your host, Gazella Mami. On this week's show, we're talking the Emmy Awards, the winners, losers, and the themes of the night. That's coming up, but first, if you have any questions for us or ideas for topics you'd like to hear, leave us a voicemail at 646-504-7673 or email us at tvquestions at vulture.com. I'm here with New York Magazine TV critic Matt Zoller-Seitz. Hey, Gazelle. Hi, Matt. And Vulture TV columnist Jen Cheney. Hello. Hey, Jen. Hey, guys. We all had a late night last night, but... Yes, we did. How are you guys holding up? It actually, you know, it it ended, I think, even a few minutes shy of 11. They're pretty good about keeping the trains running on time at the Emmys, unlike the Oscars. It felt like it even... I don't know if it was just me, but it felt like it moved more quickly this year. Maybe they had moved. I know they had moved some awards to the Creative Arts Emmys, like the Guest Actor Awards. Right. But it felt like a lot of just major awards for the most part. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And they also got right to the point toward the end there where they would just come out and say, the nominees are so-and-so. And and there was no banter. It was just, let's get this over with. I kind of liked it. Yeah, me too. Because, like, really with the Emmys, you don't have, like... It's not like a big show in terms of there being a lot of performances and, you know, the the great moments come from the speeches and not necessarily those bits where people are riffing right before they announce something. No, and I, I mean really like once every 15,000 years somebody <laughs> says something quotable during yeah. the pre-banter, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and you know, this year it felt kind of surprisingly perceptive and reflective of the TV landscape in 2016 and kind of where things are headed. Yeah, I agree with that. I was also impressed by the diversity of the presenters as well. And it seemed like it was something that people were aware of mm-hmm. when they got up to introduce uh, categories or people who, when people got up to accept a- awards. And even uh, Jimmy Kimmel was uh, probably every other joke was about that. You know, yeah. Like, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, Dismantle the patriarchy. Is that a bad thing for me? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely it's a different world. It's a different world. And it, it was one of those uh, live TV events where you, you know, I felt like, all right, I'm, the world is changing. You can see the yeah. world changing from what's happening on this television screen. I think after last year's awards, the biggest conversation was, you know, you had Regina King, Viola Davis and Uzo Aduba all winning acting awards. And, you know, that felt kind of historic and people were wondering if that was kind of a fluke. But, I mean, if this year is any indication, it doesn't seem like it. The other thing I liked is that, you know, there was that element. We expect the Emmy voters to kind of be repetitive as they have been in in the past. And they certainly did in the two big categories, giving Game of Thrones best drama again, giving Veep outstanding comedy again. But they also mixed it up a little bit. And especially on the comedy side, I felt like they spread the love around a lot, giving, you know, Transparent getting directing, Master of None getting writing. Uh, and then you had these surprises like Tatiana Maslany winning for Actress in a Drama. So I, I felt like it, it was reflective of, yes, the Emmys are still traditional and there are traditional elements of TV in certain ways, but also look at all this new stuff that's happening. And I felt like it had a foot in both of those worlds. Totally. I, well, why don't we talk a little bit about some of those surprises and and how we all felt about them. <laughs> we had Rami Malek winning for for Outstanding Actor in a Drama. I'm happy to say I called that one. <laughs> I'm really not an I called it guy. I really am not because my track record of predictions is so horrible, like consistently dating back decades. Um, but I just had a feeling about the guy this year. And it's a case where I think even if you don't 
necessarily like the show, uh, and if you don't even care about uh, diversity issues, you could still look at his performance and go, that's an amazing original performance, mm-hmm. really. And and I liken it to um, when Michael Chiklis won for The Shield, mm. you know. Um, obviously, no, you know, he's a white dude, but that was a very unusual character, and it was a very unusual performance, and it was right, at, it was out of nowhere. And I love it when a, when a performer wins a major role and they've basically come out of nowhere. Like on the Oscar side of things, when Adrian Brody won for The Pianist. It was a very stiff competition that year, but I loved seeing the faces of other nominees uh, in that category. They didn't look like they were trying to hide their disappointment. They seemed delighted that somebody who was fairly new to the game had won an award that big. And that's how I felt about this. Yeah, that Adrian Brody moment is honestly my favorite moment on any award show ever. Like, it's wonderful for the reason you just said. Oh, my goodness. It, it doesn't come out as slow motion, but it doesn't really ring a bell. The name, I didn't know my name when you said that. I was like, hey, hey, this Adrian? Okay. Uh, I haven't really written a speech because every time I wrote a speech for the past one of these things, I didn't win. Uh, but, uh, you know, there comes a time in life when everything seems to make sense. And this is not one of those times. Although, you know, when he kissed Halle Berry after accepting the Oscar, that kind of ruined it. And, you know, Rami Malek, of course, just to preempt people who tweet at me, um, yes, I know he was in the Pacific and he was great. But, I mean, you know, we had not seen or heard a whole lot from him on any kind of major platform until Mr. Robot. And he he is that show. Except not as much this season. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> not Unfor- as much unfortunately. This season. But, no, but, yeah, no. no it, and, you know, one thing that was really nice about this award show was kind of the it, the the great the feeling of gratefulness or just like the people being surprised by their own wins mm-hmm. like it brought this quality that felt exciting and you could really feel how deep how much it meant to them you know Rami Malek has mm-hmm. been acting for a long time and he never thought this would happen I'm no. sure oh my god oh my god oh Please tell me you're seeing this too. Oh my God. Uh, thank you. I, thank you to the Academy and everyone who gave me a chance to, to play this role. Bonnie Hammer and Jeff Wachtel and, and, and Chris McCumber and Steve Golan and Chad Hamilton. Um, oh. Louis Anderson was another, another win like that for, uh, for yeah. Baskets. Yeah. Uh, Although what, what that, I felt like that was less of a surprise, right? People seem to be kind of. Well, I think it's less of a surprise for people like us, but I think the average person at home was probably going, "What the heck is baskets?" You that's know? true. That's true. I remember Louis Anderson when he first came on the stand-up scene in a big way. I think it was like the late '80s, and mm-hmm. I, I really liked him. He was he was somebody who was doing something fresh, and uh, I'm glad that he you know, he's been an actor too for quite a long time. But this was right. really something else. Although I wonder. How he must have felt when Jeffrey Tambor said that he hoped he was the last cisgender male actor to win an award right. here for playing a trans person. Although I feel like though they're very different um, types of those are two very, they, as much as you know you can look at it and say these are men playing women. Right, they're such different situations. They are, but I nevertheless wonder um, how much longer this kind of casting can go right. on. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, no, it's true. And and in movies as well. Like, you know, whenever I hear that a 
a straight male actor has been cast as a trans person and they're looking forward to the challenge. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, I think we should. Yeah. I, I really think we need to close the door on this kind of thing now. No, and I think it was great that Jeffrey Tambor did acknowledge it because I'm sure he's been getting a lot of criticism for it. Mm, yeah, yeah, probably so. Yeah. I thought he handled it very classily, though. I really did. He really did, yeah. Another kind of strange um, surprise was Maggie Smith winning for Downton Abbey. It didn't feel like in this category she was the one who necessarily deserved it this year. No, I was really annoyed by that. Everybody else in that category would have been preferable to me. And I love Maggie Smith, but come on, she's kind of, you know, she's the Fonzie of that show. I'm no, sorry, Ponzi. she is. She is. She's the she's the and comic insulting really. Henry Winkler and Maggie Smith. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, she she's obviously she's you know one of the great actors of the British uh, uh, screen. But uh, I just come on, really, really. I mean, I just I, I'm kind of mad about that actually. Right. I mean, I'm not saying she necessarily should have won, but I wasn't surprised by it because I think this is the third time she's won for playing the Dowager Countess. It was the last season of Downton Abbey. The Emmy voters, obviously, given the nominations they have given that show over its run, wanted to throw it a bone, I think. And Maggie Smith was the most obvious way for them to recognize it. And and to your point, Matt, maybe the laziest way to recognize it. But um, nevertheless, I wasn't surprised that they did it. Regina King, I was very happy about. Yeah. Yes. I love Regina King. I've been a Regina King fanboy for quite a long time. And, you know, she won last year. And I don't think anyone was expecting her to win two years in a row. But no. That's what's kind of amazing about it is she's that good. You know, she deserves to win two years in a row. I mean, I think she deserved to win more for what she did on The Leftovers, which she wasn't even nominated for. But nevertheless, I was happy to see her win for American Crime because she was very good on that, too. Yeah. I really the the Master of None win for the parents episode that that one meant a lot to me just, you know, as a first generation immigrant family. I think a lot of people that episode it's not the type of story you expect to see on television. Right. And to, spe- to see it be recognized by the Emmys as a story that is kind of worth telling, it was like very, very moving. And we talk about, you know, diversity in Hollywood and just how much it's not just about casting, it's about the writing because the writing on that episode was actually quite incredible because it's yeah. very precise in its comedy about immigrant parents and in kind of the poignancy of it. So, yeah, I just I thought that was an incredible moment. And the Alan Yang speech, you know, he Aziz Ansari gets all the credit. But Alan Yang is kind of, you know, right there alongside him writing yeah. these episodes. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, thank you very much to everyone who worked on the show. Um, and most of all, thank you to my family. I love you guys so much. And you were the inspiration for this episode. Um, there's 17 million Asian Americans in this country and there's 17 million Italian Americans. They have The Godfather, Goodfellas, Rocky, The Sopranos. We got Long Duck Dog, so we got a long way to go. But I know we can get there. I believe in us. It's just going to take a lot of hard work. Asian parents out there, if you could just do me a favor, if just a couple of you get your kids' cameras instead of violins, we'll be all good. So we'll just do it. What else was a surprise? I was a little... Ben Mendelsohn is is one of the hot actors yeah. right now, and I think he's tremendous. But 
I didn't want him to. I, I didn't want him to win for Blood. Yeah. Money. Well, so he won for the second season. Yeah. And I he right. won last year as well. Yeah. Which I thought he was. Com- he's a, he's the best thing about. That I get show. that. I totally get that for season one. Right. But for season two, it felt less understandable. Yeah, and when I say that I, you know, I'm not saying that he's not a good actor. I'm just right. saying that category was so rich that this seemed like a a predictable and in some ways unmerited choice in comparison to what else was available. Yeah. And it was also just within this telecast itself, it was kind of a bummer because it came right after Maggie Smith. So it was two people who weren't there to accept <laughs> right. one right after the other. Yeah, it was kind of a weird, like, like kind of uh, exaggerated how how much we didn't want those wins, yeah. just having them not be there and being <laughs> denied the joy of a speech from someone you do want just made it feel even worse. Yeah, yeah, it did kind of add insult yeah. to injury in a way. And then, you know, one kind of surprising one that wasn't a mate, like, I mean, it is a big award, Outstanding Directing in a Limited Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Suzanne Beer won for The Night Manager, which, you know, I didn't I didn't end up following that show until the end. Um I would have wanted People vs. OJ to win because mm-hmm. it was up for three. It was three episodes yeah. in that category. Um, it, you know, it, it's nice to see a female director get recognized. It is nice to see you a female know? director get recognized. I didn't care much for the direction on that. I did not see anything in terms of the direction that was outside of the norm for a big budget television production that they had to rush through. I mean, there was yeah. a lot of, there was a lot of coverage. I didn't see a whole lot of uh, precision or forethought put into camera placement. I mean, these are all geeky things to say, but like compared to John Singleton's work on his episode of the O.J. Simpson miniseries, that's what I wanted to win. Mm-hmm. You know, that was yeah. that was phenomenal. And, and almost all of the uh, all of the directing on that show was great, especially considering how much of it took place in a courtroom and the question of how do you make that dynamic and visually right. interesting. Well, do you think the three episodes of of People vs. OJ that were nominated in that category canceled each other out? Does that kind of thing happen? I don't I don't think so because, you know, if that were the case, then we wouldn't have seen so many awards for acting for that show when when there were multiple nominees up in the same category. That's true. You know, if vote cancellation is a problem, why wouldn't it be a problem universally? And it's not as if there were if there were multiple acting nominees in one category, it wasn't a case where one person was clearly the best of the bunch and the others were were pretty good. Yeah. They were all amazing. Right. So there should have been vote splitting there too. So I don't know what happened. And I always think it's a mistake to intuit what the great body or mass of voters for a particular organization is trying to say, you know, like what kind of message they're trying to send when they give somebody an award. I don't think it works that way. I I think it's just – that's just how the numbers shook out. Right. Like, I mean, I that's one thing I haven't really – you know, I don't – know much about and just do, I mean do they do they meet to talk about these things or is it purely supposed to be a, they talk they talk to each other individually you talk to your right. friends you, you know, might talk to your friends you might even have a viewing party if it's a show that you haven't seen and you get together to watch the screener with two or three of your closest friends or maybe you watch it in isolation and you communicate by email or text or on Facebook messages or whatever but um, you know there's not like I don't think anybody holds formal meetings to say what are we going to vote for right at least the critics groups that I've been a part of never worked that way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like everybody got together in the same room and they collectively hashed it out among 20 or 50 people or however many are in the group. It's like, you know, me and three or four of the people I'm closest to might have drinks together before we go to the meeting, but that's about it. Right. You know? But you could, te- in theory, you know, be having unofficial meetings where you are kind of saying, how can we make 
this thing happen that we want to happen. Oh, that totally yeah. happens. That totally happens. And in fact, there was some uh, an absolute masterpiece of parliamentary procedure is what enabled uh, Terrence Malick to win uh, Best Director for the Thin Red Line oh, at the yeah. New York Film Critics Circle, in, which is the year that uh, Saving Private Ryan was expected to sweep. And I actually saw that. I actually saw that being that plan being put into motion. Where it's like it was all about how you order the categories, and the thinking was if you get to the end and the thin red line still doesn't have anything, then it, that's that's the best shot for it because people say, wait, we didn't give anything to the thin red line, and that's yeah. exactly what happened. But on the other hand, um, I don't think that any kind of parliamentary manipulation or chicanery got Rami Malek an award. I think people just looked at that and went, yeah, this guy's amazing. And I think there's something more going on in his performance than mere technical excellence. Like, and I said last night that Mr. Spock, you know, Leonard Nimoy never won an Emmy for playing Mr. Spock, but Rami Malek has won for playing Elliot. And I feel like in some way the karmic scales have been righted. Because characters like that on, on geeky genre shows, playing these outsider characters, they usually are beloved and like posters of them hang on people's dorm room walls, but they don't win awards. Right. This guy did. It's great. And it, and it was true for both of the acting, the lead acting um, winners in, on the drama side. Tatiana Maslany is in a show that I think a lot of people think of as a genre show and that I assumed they would ignore because of that. And she's, so you had both. She's playing me right now. Did you know that? Wow. In the studio. She is good. This is not me. This is not me. This is Tatiana Maslany. <laughs> she studied me and it took her all of 15 minutes to, 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 to totally get me down. <laughs> and that's her. It's, she's here in the studio right Tatiana. now. Tatiana. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing she's gonna, work, she's, she's gonna She's going to play Gazelle in a minute. Oh, scary. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was really great. And uh, with Rami, like, we were talking about this um, at Vulture, just how, you know, he kind of had, like, a slight lisp when he was accepting his award. Yeah. That was kind of Humphrey Bogart-esque. Yes. And he was also <laughs> dressed in a white suit that kind of had the Casablanca feel. He's a handsome he's, dude. Yeah. He, he's really, he, he, he is. Looks like, he looks like Hollywood royalty. Jen, you wrote a piece last night about the the speeches and how, you know, the standard was really high just in terms of how great they were. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I thought the speeches overall were, were terrific and at a higher level than they are in a lot of award shows. But what also struck me, too, was just the way that some of those speeches, either by coincidence or planning, I don't know, but were really reflective of the shows and the performances with which they were associated. Um, I mean, obviously, this could not possibly have been planned, but the fact that Julie Louis-Dreyfus was accepting her, her Emmy and, you know, making jokes about political satire and then talking about having just lost her father, I mean, it mirrored what happened to her character this season. You know, she lost her mother on the show, um, and that was what added a layer to her performance this season that I think made her win that Emmy again. Uh, so that really stood out to me. I mean, I just thought these were really, really great speeches. And, and you know, some of them uh, seem to be given very much off the cuff from People versus OJ, um, Sterling K. Brown's speech. He didn't seem to be working from any notes at all. All right, so uh, I was talking to Melania Trump this morning. And I was asking her, if I win, what should I do? What should I say? I don't know Melania Trump. Look, um, thank you to the Academy. A lot of you may not have known who I was, but you checked the box anyway. And that makes me very, very happy. Um, to the communities that have supported me up to this point in my career, there's a lot of people in St. Louis making a lot of noise right now. Mama, I can hear you. I love you. Sterling Brown Jr., I changed what people called me to age 16 so I could hear your name every day of my life. I love you, Daddy.
Uh, and he and he had that great great line that everybody kept repeating um, about his wife. And contrary to popular belief, I got the hottest chick in the game rocking my chain. Ryan Michelle Bathay, you make this whole thing go. I love you. Thank you. And I thought it was great that, you know, uh, Chris Darden finally gave some, some language that Johnny Cochran borrowed for his speech. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, and both of those guys, uh, you know, you look at them on the show, you get used to them as, as those characters. They've obviously, you know, for obvious reasons, they've been made up and dressed to resemble the real-life people that they're playing. And I love seeing a character like that who's, who, who is under, you know, fairly heavy disguise on the show. And then you see them in an award show and you realize they don't look anything like that. You yeah. Know, that's, that's always right. really cool to me and it's a testament to, to the sorcery of a good actor. And then Sarah Paulson's speech where she basically apologized to Marsha Clark on behalf of the country. <laughs> that was um, fantastic. That was amazing. Now, the responsibility of playing a real person is an enormous one. You want to get it right, not for you, but for them. The more I learned about the real Marsha Clark, not the two-dimensional cardboard cutout I saw on the news, but the complicated, whip-smart, giant-hearted mother of two who woke up every day, put both feet on the floor, and dedicated herself to righting an unconscionable wrong, the loss of two innocents, Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown. The more I had to recognize that I, along with the rest of the world, had been superficial and careless in my judgment, and I'm glad to be able to stand here today in front of everyone and tell you I'm sorry. I didn't start to get uh, frustrated or disappointed until near the end when it became clear that the usual suspects were going to win in the major categories. Yeah. But but they're good. And, you know, I, I can't say – I can't look at Veep and go, that's not a good show. It's ac- it's a consistently excellent show. Like I don't think it's right. just habit that makes that show win. And Game of right. Thrones, you know, while being far from my favorite drama that's on the air, I can't deny that for, you know, basically the largest production in the history of television, it has an amazing amount of personality. Yeah, but Matt, your predictions post really gave me hope that the Americans was going to win. I know. You know I was she, so... You should never ask me to make predictions. You should never... My, my should win and my will win. I my, knew it. I knew it couldn't. My should, should win, win is but... always a slam dunk. It's like, of course, that's what I think should win. It doesn't matter if it wins or not. But my will win, about 50% of the time, my will win is my second choice for should win. But as a friend of mine was pointing out, the production cycle of Game of Thrones is such that they will probably be out of contention during next year's Emmy cycle. So I think oh. yeah, they're not going to be back until June. Whoa, so, that is so crazy. So they will not be contending for best drama, which opens the door for the Americans or something else to to win next year. You know, or better call Saul. Like Jonathan Banks may finally get his Emmy. I really wanted when Tori Kelly was performing Alleluia during the In Memoriam segment. I wanted Jonathan Banks to walk out on stage and take her guitar away and say "No more Alleluia" and walk <laughs> off. They should really have more like uh, little jokes built into the show that are kind of referencing pe- great moments on television. I don't know. I feel like characters, personalities, yeah, or like yeah. things like that could be really, really fun. Well, you know what I miss. I miss when, um, and it's not happening anymore because Amy Poehler's not nominated, but when they used to, when she was nominated, especially when it was her and Tina Fey, they would orchestrate this whole thing that the, the lead actress in a comedy nominees would do. Like the year they did that, like pretend beauty pageant and then Melissa McCarthy won. That was wonderful. Uh, and that was all them just doing goofy stuff. And I, I could tell Aziz Ansari was kind of trying to do it by sitting in his mom's lap last night when it was his turn to be nominated. But I miss that kind of thing, you know, that kind of goofy humor. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I guess it was last year when he was Aziz Ansari was reading that book. It's like how to how to cope with losing for Jeff, to Jeffrey to Oh, right, right. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Something we haven't talked about actually that that is significant 
is the fact that Kate McKinnon won for Supporting Actress in a Comedy, which is the first time that someone from Saturday Night Live has actually won in one of the acting in a comedy, not a guest appearance, but one of the actual cast members. And they've we've had situations where they've been nominated. You know, Amy Poehler was, Bill Hader was, back in the day, Eddie Murphy was. But Kate McKinnon actually finally won an Emmy, uh, which is And she's a big been deal. nominated four times, I believe. Yeah. So this was one of those, you know, finally long overdue and it was totally her year you know she's been playing hillary yeah she's been playing hillary and she was also the best thing in ghostbusters yeah that's true she was great in that and she seemed surprised she She did that was the first moment where i actually teared up okay i am really crying i'm not making that um (laughs) thank you to the academy so much uh good sentence uh thank you I can't, this is this is really crazy, you guys. Thank you to Lauren Michaels for giving me uh, the job of my life, and um, to the amazing crew at SNL. You know, it's really hard making uh, 90 minutes of sketch comedy every week for 42 years. So, uh, thank you to the my amazing colleagues, the cast and writers, who are the smartest, uh, best people I know. Um, uh, yeah, I'm shaking, guys. Thanks, Fred, Brian, Melissa, Lauren. Thank you, especially uh, Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider. Thank you, Ellen DeGeneres. Thank you, Hillary Clinton. Um, <laughs> thank you, Hillary Clinton. And um, just uh, on a personal note, thank you to my beautiful and hilarious mother and sister and to my uh, father, who's not with us anymore, but he made me start watching SNL when I was 12. Uh, so thank you, and uh, I miss you, Pop. Okay. Okay. You feel how much it means to her, and yeah. just, it was... It was lovely. There was great footage on uh, uh, Leslie Jones's uh, Twitter account of her jumping up and down backstage watching Kate McKinnon go to the stage. (laughs) That's amazing. They should really have Leslie Jones hosting this thing. Yes. (laughs) I mean, it's like an easy, easy decision right there. Leslie Jones Um, and Matt Damon. Actually, yeah. (laughs) Matt Damon, yes. yes, A couple friends of mine were expressing surprise to to learn that he's funny, but like, I always think he's funny. I always he's done a lot of comedy. He has done a lot of comedy. And like, you know, if you haven't seen the Steven Soderbergh movie, The Informant, exclamation point, please do so immediately. <laughs> yeah, it'll, he's great in that. Yeah, it'll it'll solve any lingering questions you have about Matt Damon's comedic skills. <laughs> 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 he's a complete idiot. I think he and George Clooney and Brad Pitt are all part of this club of like matinee idols who really, in my opinion, are at their greatest when they're playing complete morons yes yeah you know like something ha- something electric happens with Clooney when he's playing a, a dim ball totally you know? John John Hamm has that a bit too he does yeah, he does. yeah. he's yeah. kind of like you know dashing kind of golden age of Hollywood guys who have that kind of feel to them yes surprising it just works surprisingly Chris Hemsworth well. I've never liked Chris Hemsworth more than the than the himbo that he played in the Ghostbusters remake. <laughs> that was brilliant yeah. yeah. John Hamm's also good at playing assholes as well. So he has a lot he has a lot of range. And himbos, yeah. And himbos. Yeah. Yeah. And himbos. In terms of other other kind of long overdue wins, we had Key and Peel winning oh, yes. variety Thank sketch. The Lord. I know. That was a nice parting gift. It was. And it's like <laughs> also just you know, it's nice when the parting gift is deserved. Yes. <laughs> and that's what that's what happened. Well, here. they're pheno- they're both phenomenal performers. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, they've moved on to movies in theory, but I wonder if we're not going to see them back on TV sooner rather than later. Yeah, I was listening to Keegan Michael Key's backstage interview and he mentioned he's working on a Netflix show. So Yeah. I'm I'm assuming he'll be starring in it, but it sounds like he's creating it. Uh, but it seems like him and Jordan 
want to be doing movies as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The two, I guess, the, the two things aren't mutually exclusive. But right. I, but there's something about there's a particular mentality or particular temperament to a to a person who's a great sketch comic. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, it's really hard to do the kind of thing that they're good at. It's really, really hard to just play all these different characters, like you know, several, like as many as three or four, or even five different characters in the space of a half an hour, and to do it equally convincingly. Yeah. That's why I was so glad. Going back to Tatiana Maslany, that's why I was so glad that she got that award. She deserved to be nominated long before she was. I think if they'd given it to her last year, I would have been really happy. Um, but that's a kind of performance that I think when a lot of people look at that, they think that they're like watching a freak of nature and that it's not really uh, acting, that it's not really a triumph of craft, that it's just something like here's this person, this rare individual who can do this? Who right. can do this? And she's not just doing like this is not Saturday Night Live where she's putting on you know nine different wigs, but she's basically the same person. Like she really gives a lot of thought to every single one of these characters. Like their body language is different, their voice is different, the way that they make eye contact or don't, the way that they respond in certain types of situations. Like she puts as much work into a character who's you know in just a handful of scenes as she does into the characters who who span an entire season. Yeah. And I'm glad I'm really really glad that was recognized. It's really incredible. Um especially also it's you know as we were saying before it's a it's a genre show and those shows just never get any kind of love. Unless they're usually. called Game of Thrones. Unless they're called Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It was all genre in, in the drama categories last night. Uh, there, there was a, a, a you know, there's this theory that the reason that Game of Thrones has been doing so well is because it employs half of the film industry. Hmm. I have no idea if there's any truth to that, um, but it's an interesting theory. I sound like Donald Trump. <laughs> Some people say. <laughs> Some people say that Game of Thrones wins because you no. Know, so that's really- well. I will say that I, while I did want to see the Americans win, as as I think all of us did. Uh, I was more comfortable with Game of Thrones winning this year than I was last year because I thought the previous season was not at all its best. And for that to be the first time that it had won Outstanding Drama just felt wrong to me in a way that this season didn't. I, I thought this was a very, very good season of Game of Thrones. Mm. So, It also this year uh, broke broke a record. It beat out Frasier for the series, the scripted series with the most Emmy wins ever. So Frasier had won 37 Emmys total and Game of Thrones last night got its 38th win. Wow. Yeah. And I had no idea Frasier had won so many Emmys. Oh, yeah. Oh, it won over and over. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, again, but I'm reminded of Veep, you know, in the sense that Frasier kept winning over and over and there would be a groan that would go up from the, you know, the TV critic masses. Why is why is Frasier winning again? Why does Frasier win everything? But it was a great show. Right. Like even when Frasier was not at its best, it was better than almost everything else that was on TV. And I it feel would, the, I if, feel if, the same way about Veep. Yeah, I guess I I don't know. I feel like Frasier won uh, in years when Seinfeld was at its absolute peak and and didn't win, and that to me is a little bit nutty. And then years when the Simpsons was at its absolute peak and was just not even nominated in that category because oh no, it's a cartoon. Right. Um. So anyway, don't get me started on Frasier. I like Frasier, but <laughs> yeah, not but there as is, much as there is a tendency. There is a tendency to get locked into a rut of giving particular shows or particular performers awards year after year after year, and it makes me wonder. You can't mind read uh, the voters, but it makes me wonder if they're really watching television. If they're yeah. really watching television, or if they like they go Julia Louis Dreyfus. I've loved her forever. I'm gonna mar- I'm gonna mark my ballot for her. Right, and even you know I love Margot Martindale and. She won 
guest actress at the Creative Arts Emmys last weekend. But she was barely in this last season of The she Americans. Was, no, she, she had just, like 10 yeah. minutes of she screen time total. She deserve to win. It doesn't no. make any sense. And you must think, you know, they have a lot of things to watch, too. Maybe this is one where, you know, Margot Martindale has become synonymous with great character actress. Yeah. Yes. So, she is great character actress, she Margot is. Martindale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they'll probably never do this. But there are ways, you know, on a screener, an online screener, there are ways to tell if people have actually watched things and how much of it they've watched. Mm. And if they were to institute some kind of mandatory, you know, you have to watch at least half of an episode before you can, you know, like they can tell, like, you got to watch all the submitted episodes in category, otherwise you can't vote in it. You have to watch at least half of the episode. That seems, you know, extraordinarily generous to expect them to watch at least half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, or in the case of actors, a lot of time, I think it's scenes that are submitted. It's not, you know, it's their stuff from the episode, like not the entire episode. But right. nevertheless, it's like we have ways, we have ways, we have ways <laughs> to tell technologically if people are actually doing their homework before they vote. And I wonder if there's been any move to implement that. I doubt it. You know, probably not because yeah. it would be considered an insult. You know, right. what do you mean you think I would mark my ballot without watching things? Right. But people do it. Well, let's talk about some some snubs. You know, we've talked about the Americans in the, you know, because we love it. But uh, Fargo, Fargo was a great, mm-hmm. they had a great season. And it does feel kind of like at a certain point, buzz does determine who wins. This People versus OJ you know, this was its year and it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where everyone's talking about it. And it totally deserved all, all its wins. But, you know, Fargo didn't get any recognition last night. I have a theory about yeah. that. Yeah. I have a theory about or that. Or s- Sunday is, night. I which say. is that um, – and this is slightly contradicting a previous point I made about how you can't look at it as an institutional statement when somebody wins or loses. But – the O.J. Simpson trial, the scandal, everything related to it, the whole context of it was an L.A. story. And and this mm. industry is based in Los Angeles. There's a New York satellite of it, but it's mainly a Los Angeles mm. industry. So basically what they were looking at was a miniseries that was about maybe one of the biggest things ever to happen in Los Angeles and one that almost everybody in this group lived through, even if they were very young when it happened. So we're like, we're talking about familiarity. And they get to go in and watch this miniseries and think, is it going to be thoughtful or exploitive? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? And it turns out to be thoughtful and very, very good. In Fargo, on the other hand, you've got something that's a very odd duck. It's a very, very odd duck, that show, and and especially this season where you've got – you know, an even larger and more complex plot than before. And, and you know, there's elements of mysticism and UFOs and, and a renegade Native American coming in, in at the end and kind of changing the, the trajectory of the plot. And I think it's brilliant. I mean, I think the second season of that show is a vast improvement over the first, and I like the first one. But I can see why it got shut out. Right. It might have been a little too arty, a little too weird, and also, frankly, a little too Midwestern right. for that. Like, do you, you know, what are you going to give it to? Something that retells a story that you remember from when you were living in Los Angeles, which is where it happened, or a bunch of people who talk funny and they live in a snowy <laughs> climate. Yeah. It would have been nice if it won directing or, you know. Yeah. There was like – there's probably some – I, I mean, there were a lot of categories it could have won in, but and I totally understand why it didn't. But I think that's a great point about the L.A. thing. And what's interesting about it to me is that when I talk to people about People versus O.J. who haven't seen it and I say, you really should watch this, the reaction I get is the opposite, which is I lived through that. I don't want to watch it again. I've heard that so many times. I'm like, you don't understand. This is going to address this 
story in a way that maybe you haven't thought about it before and certainly probably haven't thought about it in a long time. But it's like the opposite. It's a resistance because I lived through it as opposed to this is interesting because I lived through it, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, this isn't, uh, this snub kind of upset a large group of people. Beyonce not winning for Lemonade. The Beehive was not pleased with that. That's ridiculous. That's, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that that, that, that that didn't sweep everything that it was up for. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, there's no other word for it. I mean, that's have you seen that? It's unbelievable. I know. It's unbelievable. Like, this is, this is something genuinely new, exciting, important, and well-made. Best Direction going to Greece live fantastic but that was just a superior example of something that's done all the time it wasn't new right you know? you know it was it was a lot of fun to watch and you know obviously tommy kale is very talented he's the director yeah. behind hamilton i do think the camera work they did in uh, on grease live was really impressive especially because it was on the fly uh, and i think that's probably what people responded to but i completely agree i thought lemonade should have won it's like, you know, I couldn't decide, will the internet break because she didn't win? Or if she does, will it just like the sky just crack open? I like I wasn't sure. But, you know, there were there were good lines uh, in, in speeches. One you referenced, Jen, in Sterling K. Brown's speech about his wife rocking his chain. It kind of <laughs> <laughs> got repeated in almost every speech after that. Um, but, you know, you had Jill Soloway calling to topple the, the patriarchy at the end of her speech. I'm pretty sure it's that's pretty a phrase that's never been uttered, uttered on the Emmys before. Yeah. When you take women, people of color, trans people, queer people, and you put them at the center of the story, these subjects instead of the objects, you change the world, we found out. We found out. Um... So I want to thank you, my sweet Jeff Bezos, because you changed the world. And you invited me to do this thing that these people call television, but I call it a revolution. I've always wanted to be part of a movement, civil rights movement, the feminist movement. This TV show allows me to take my dreams about unlikable Jewish people, <laughs> queer folk, trans folk, and make them the heroes. Thank you to the trans community for your lived lives. We need to stop violence against transgender women and topple the patriarchy. Topple the patriarchy. It was great, you know. Um, people were really going for it. Courtney B. Vance, you know, I, I love the whole cadence of his speech. There was this kind of re repetitive quality. Yeah. Yeah, then, which was very Cochran-esque in a way. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's a preacher voice. Yes. It's a preacher yep. voice. Glory to God! Ryan Murphy! Nina! Brad, thank you. To my fellow nominees, thank you. Cast and crew, directors, thank you. And last but not least... To the woman that rocks my chain, <laughs> Angela Evelyn Bassett. This one is for you, girl. Obama, in the in. I was glad to see him, Courtney B. Vance, win because I've been a fan of his ever since I saw him in uh, the, the Vietnam film Hamburger Hill, which was almost. 30 mm. years ago. 
Wow. He's one of these people who's just, he's consistently excellent in everything that he does. And he's uh, hes such a subtle and generous performer that he rarely steals the spotlight from anybody else. He always does what's appropriate for the part. And, mm-hmm. you know, he'll add a little bit of zip to it. But uh, it's just, one of, one of the things I've always loved about the Emmys is that it rewards actors who are that kind of actor. You know, their utility mm. and field are actors. And, and television, much more so than film, has traditionally been a medium where the utility infielder, the uh, the loyal foot soldier, can actually win something. It's great. And, and to see, in a way, I think, uh, the wins for people like uh, Rami Malek and uh, um, Tatiana Maslany and um, Courtney B. Vance and Aziz Ansari are a continuation of that tradition. And there was, an, there was a strain throughout the telecast of the Emmys congratulating itself on being slightly ahead of the curve when it comes to diversity and inclusiveness. And they're right to brag about that. Yeah. Not, as much as, not as much of a right as the Golden Globes have, but they're, but they're right to toot their own horn about that. Yeah, you know, the Oscars this year obviously was preceded by the Oscars So White um, conversation. And and then when the Oscars rolled around, they had a ton of jokes about Oscars so white. And then people kind of felt like, oh, you know, you're not really in on that. <laughs> like, you can't be it kind of like it wasn't it didn't strike the right tone. Um, so do you feel like the Emmys handled it better just in terms of, you know, it did reference kind of how white the industry is. I think they did. But I think they, the reason they handled it better than the Oscars is where the Oscars vo- jokes about that stuff and, the, and then gives awards to a bunch of white people. Right. The Emmys did not right. do that. Totally. It right. allows you to, to do that. Yeah, you can make <laughs> jokes like that if you're actually handing awards to, you know, more than wh- the usual bunch of white people. Mm-hmm. The other thing to contrast this with the Oscars, too, it gets back to what you said a minute ago, Gazelle, about just the the joy of, of some of these speeches is that people were going for it. And I think a lot of times... The Academy Awards feels it has so much pomp and so much gravitas, and it, it, there's just so much hovering over that ceremony that when people do get up to give a speech, it, it, it feels very, let me thank these very specific people. And plus, the Oscars leading up to that, we've seen the same movies and the same actors win a series of awards prior to that. So it's like we've heard the speech already about five or six times already. Um, but the Emmys had a, just a spontaneity about it that I think is what's constantly missing from the Oscars, and I don't know how they, to infuse the Oscars with that because of the nature of the event. But yeah, it felt like people were getting up there and just saying what they wanted to say without restricting themselves and without you know, thanking people, but not going down this laundry list of people that they are obligated to thank or else they will lose their jobs, you know? Right. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I wish that there were a way to just make it mandatory that people could, could not thank more than like three people. <laughs> when they're on TV. Like, I know that's never going to happen, but it's just you don't want to hear that, you know, the televised portion of it. I think it was – I can't remember if it was the Emmys or the Oscars that that sort of tried to encourage people to thank people backstage. Yeah, it was the Oscars. Oh, was they, the Oscars. Uh, okay, they said there yeah. was an opportunity to do that so that – to, to get at what you're saying, which is that during the telecast, you'd be saying something more meaningful and not just reading a list of names. But I don't think it was terribly effective. No. Um, but it's no. a good idea. The first person to break the embargo, then suddenly the floodgates are down and everybody's back to thanking their agent, their manager, their publicist, their stylist, and all that other stuff. Right. Yeah. But I much prefer the emotional moments. I, totally. I mean, I, I get it. Like, you have your moment up there. You want to thank everyone. But you only do it because you feel like you're supposed to. So mm-hmm. if it was – if it was the, something like this was imposed, then you, you, don't ha- you don't run the risk of leaving people out either and you can just kind of – 
say something nice. Yeah, it'd be great if they could just shrug and say, well, it was yeah. against the rules. Yeah, exactly. They'll take the statue back if I thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting to think about next year's awards already, too, just in terms of the shows that are coming out now, like Atlanta and uh, Issa Rae's Insecure and Tignataro's One Mississippi and the possibility of Ava DuVernay winning for directing. You know, it's like there's there's a completely new set of great shows that could be represented next year. Yeah. I think the the most difficult thing for the Emmy voters next year is going to be figuring out what not to nominate. Yeah. Because there's so much good stuff That's now. That's true. And if you go back and look at uh, what was up for Emmys, say, 25 or 30 years ago, you see – you see a number of shows that are undeniably excellent and or important in some way. But you also see a lot of shows that are just kind of like, really? That was nominated? Mm-hmm. You don't see that as much anymore. It's and true. W- when I was going through the – when I was making my picks, and I'm sure Jen can talk about this as well, but I was struck by how there were – very, very rarely did I see a nominee in any category who I thought should not be in there. Mm-hmm. You know, because they weren't good enough or interesting enough. Yeah, It's really, really strong. It seems like it's getting stronger by the year. The cream of the crop. Yeah. And there's yeah, just so, I agree. There's so many more shows that, I mean, we're going to reach a point where I think the bubble will burst a bit. But Well, it always until, does. Until that point, there's just a lot of great stuff. <laughs> and we'll never sleep again. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week's Vulture TV podcast. Don't forget to email us your questions or comments at tvquestions at vulture.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-504-7673. The Vulture TV podcast is produced by Sam Dingman. Laura Mayer is our director of production and Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. I'm Gazella Mami and you can find me on Twitter at Gazellephant. I'm Matt Zoller Seitz and you can find me on Twitter at Matt Zoller Seitz. And I'm Jen Cheney, and you can find me on Twitter at Cheney J. Thanks for listening.